WNYC Studios is supported by Zuckerman Spader. Through nearly five decades of taking on high-stakes legal matters, Zuckerman Spader is recognized nationally as a premier litigation and investigations firm. Their lawyers routinely represent individuals, organizations, and law firms in business disputes, government, and internal investigations, and at trial. When the lawyer you choose matters most. Online at Zuckerman.com. Radio Lab is supported by the John Templeton Foundation, funding research and catalyzing conversations that inspire people with awe and wonder. Learn about the researchers making the latest discoveries in the science of well-being, complexity, forgiveness, and free will at templeton.org slash podcast. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I've scared myself over and over and again. I've made myself cry. Over really? And over again. Oh my god! Yeah. It's so hard for me to picture you feeling afraid because you're just such a like big dude. <laughs> hey, oh Lulu here. But the other day, I sat down with Radio Lab's director of sound design, Dylan Keefe. It was late at night. I was mixing this piece on zombies to talk to him about. I was super freaked out. What he actually does <laughs> on our show. Well, Which was something I thought I understood. He smooths out the cuts in the dialogue. He writes pretty music. But when he actually started explaining it to me, I realized I had no idea. Right from dialogue editing, we are deciding, like, how much humanity do we want to be presenting to people? Hmm. What do you mean? uh, Well, if someone feels particularly nervous being on the air, for example, you might want to, for the sake of the story, allow that nervousness to breathe. You might want... And the more he talked about what he was doing, the more I started to see how the choices he was making about pacing... With timing and the right mood... Or music... I can draw some sort of emotional qualities out of the words. We're journalistic ones. Like, he is sitting there thinking really hard about how to give listeners a slice of complexity, both what a person is intentionally saying with their words and unintentionally revealing with their behaviors. Yeah, totally. It kind of blew my mind. And the thing is, Dylan is just one of 22 people on this team thinking obsessively about every choice they make in the name of bringing you audio that showcases complexity, that makes you feel, that doesn't waste your time, teaches you something new. And I'm just coming on here for one last time during the fall pledge season to say that if work like this matters to you, now is an amazing time to support us. The best way to do it is to join our membership program, The Lab. I will admit, I don't usually sign up for these things, but it is super easy. You just go to radiolab.org slash join, radiolab.org slash join. You commit to putting in a few bucks a month, maybe like a couple packs of Skittles a month or like a couple uh, butternut squashes a month. Anyway, whatever. You go on there. You choose the amount that's right for you. doesn't need to be a lot. And if you do it by the end of September, you will get a very cool T-shirt mailed directly to your door. You also get extra interviews, like the whole conversation I had with Dylan about creativity and sound and complexity, invites to special events, other perks. But what you are really getting is supporting a show that cares about making you care. So one more time, 
if you want to check it out, radiolab.org slash join. Join the party. Thanks for listening. On with today's show. Oh, wait, you're listening. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. <coughs> you're listening, listening to Radio Lab. Radio Lab. From WNYC. See? Yep. Okay, Latif. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Thanks. To Radio Lab. Uh, Where am I? <laughs> while you were on vacation, mm-hmm. I got into some reporting hijinks. Okay. okay, well, where did you go on vacation? I went to Iceland. Okay, so as you were like flying down over the island, your family's all beside you, I'm guessing, covered in snacks. Underneath you, in the ocean, mm-hmm. there was a pretty stunning and kind of terrifying thing happening. Okay. And you were gone, and I was curious, so I decided to plunge in, so to speak. Okay. There he is with all <laughs> his books. You look like such a mad librarian. Yeah. Anyway, hey, Hank, I got my... I also brought Soren, our editor, with me, and together we called up the guy who I first heard about all this from. I'm Hank Green. I make internet content. <laughs> like... I make a lot of science uh, TikToks and tweets and YouTube videos. You familiar with this gentleman? Yeah, of course. I, I feel like he's one of the smarter people out there doing science stuff online. Like he's the host of uh, the YouTube channel SciShow. Yeah. But he's also written novels and uh, founded several media companies. Yeah. Busy guy. Well, we are so thank you. We know you didn't really want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to. I just wanted to be very clear. Um <laughs> Where I was coming from. This story is going to get a little tricky, but it all started for Hank in the middle of summer 2023, which was a pretty depressing one on the climate change front. The hottest June on record, followed by the hottest July on record. And for Hank in particular. Mentally, I was in a weird spot. I mean, I was in the midst of being treated for cancer. And during chemo, and I'm through it now, um, during chemo, I had about... A week of being completely useless when I would only consume content and then like maybe four or five days when I felt good enough to like make stuff. And Hank says he would spend a lot of his downtime sort of just reading, researching, looking online. And I had been confronted by a, a lot of really sort of apocalyptic. We are reaching the end. Doomsday prepper kind of people on TikTok. Having a panic attack for the last hour. Um, who were looking at. The temperature of the North Atlantic Ocean. Unprecedented warming. In- and it was hotter than it had ever been. Ever been in recorded history. And things are only getting worse. It's not good. That the Holocene extinction, the sixth extinction event, is probably starting now. I'm going to explain this with a visual aid. And all of these TikTokers are pointing to this one chart. And here, I can show it to you right here. Oh, you just shared it to me? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's basically a graph of the, the sea surface temperatures in the North Atlantic right. over the last couple of decades. It's kind of a pretty graph, yeah. Yeah, it's a bunch of squiggly blue lines going up and down, and that's sort of the seasonal change. And then you can see the averages going up over time. But then there's a red line, which is this year, mm-hmm. and that line is creeping up, 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 and then it has a spike. Sudden red. Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. And that line is, like, way above the average, even the seasonal ups and downs. It's not even close. Like, the the high jumper has cleared the pole. Yeah. Yeah. 
And this spike is happening over the course of months or weeks or... I think it's days. Days? Oh. An existential threat to everything we know. So all the TikTokers are basically like... This is it. It's happening now. This is us falling over the cliff. We're falling over the cliff. Figure out your relationship with Jesus Christ. And are you watching this stuff literally like while you're getting chemo? Yeah, I probably didn't see it like during the moment when the chemo was going into my body, but certainly during the times when I was... That does when people doom scroll Just picturing like... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, um, so I'd seen this and... Are we all about to die? You may have seen this graph. Uh, if you haven't, I'm sorry, I'm the one. And Hank decides to hop on TikTok himself. Like I, I made a little series that was like trying to like contextualize it. We're not there yet. We're not anywhere close to there. Yet. At the time I was seeing and I was like, I don't like it's probably just some kind of natural variation where it's like cooler than average right now in some parts of the world. And it's hotter than average in other parts. And also we're entering on, on El Nino. So El Nino is just like a warmer climate time generally. And you take one little spot on the globe and blips happen. You know, there's natural variation across the earth. I don't know. That that doesn't mean we shouldn't be worried. Like, now is not the time to say, uh, hey, it's getting a lot warmer, but no big deal. Totally. And and to be clear, Hank takes this stuff very seriously. As a person who's been worried about climate change for... The, my dad was the state director of the Nature Conservancy in Florida when I was growing up. So, like, we we're a family of environmentalists. My mom's a sociologist who worked on sustainability. Like, and I'm like, I have a degree in environmental studies. Uh, like, I've been in this for a long time, and it's very scary. This is like, <laughs> like, this is the biggest problem humanity has ever faced. But you know, there's sort of a debate that's like, do we need to get people more scared about climate change? Or do we need to get people more hopeful about climate change? Because you go around a bend eventually where it's like there's nothing to be done and I will just be hopeless and sad. And I think a lot of people are there. Right. If you're too scared, you like tip into nihilism kind of. Yeah. And this is like it's going to be like a bell curve of worry that we're all on somewhere. And in order to get like everybody to the appropriate amount of worry, we're always pushing some people to way too worried. And like there's like not really too worried about climate change until and unless you give up on trying to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. So like I'm so according to Hank, when it came to this temperature spike in the North Atlantic, his sense was that these people online were being way too alarmist. There was a sort of a mathematics of gambling guy, um, which isn't really a climate scientist, as you might expect, who who was getting a lot of traction by tweeting about how this was a really big deal. And then he was getting like on the news. Huh. And so Hank thought maybe this is a moment to dampen rather than, you know, fan the flames. Able to act because that takes time. But also keep the conversation focused on things that we might be able to do. Over the next week or two on my TikTok, I'm going to make some videos about the things that we are actually doing right now and will be doing in the future to help take care of this. So that is how Hank is spending this hot, hot summer. Going through chemo, holding a candle for hope, battling climate nihilism, and then... I was scrolling science news in bed late at night, try, like <laughs> before going to sleep. Like Classic. I do. <laughs> um, yep. 
he comes across a link to an article that made him sit straight up in bed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like 11 o'clock at night. I have to get up at <laughs> 7.30 in the morning and I'm like, oh, I'm going to read a lot right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. So the thing he sees, it's this article in Science. It's a write-up of three recent studies. And what they found is that the spike in the North Atlantic sea temperatures, this like troublingly warming water. This year's spike. That one we were talking about. This year's recent spike may have been caused by this thing, which is that a few years ago, the UN put into place some regulations that forced cargo ships to start burning cleaner fuel to, you know, reduce the pollution that they make. And that, doing that good thing, these papers said, that caused the water to get warmer. Yeah. Wait, so so they're saying that getting rid of pollution that you would think would make the problem better is actually, in this one spot, for a while at least, making the problem worse. Right. How? All right, so let's go back to before this regulation, this change had happened, all these big, hulky cargo ships are crisscrossing the North Atlantic, chugging along with their big smokestacks, puffing out big plumes of smoggy smoke. Cargo ships burn, like, the dirtiest oil. It's like the oil that's left at the bottom. Like that mayonnaise black mayonnaise Yeah, you have like, to, like, blah. heat it up yeah. before it'll even flow kind of oil. And so there's all this carbon dioxide going out into the air, of course, but there is also all this sulfur dioxide going out into the air. Okay. And that's horrible. Sulfur dioxide is bad for people. It's like it's bad to breathe. And then it also is also bad for the environment because it, it turns into sulfuric acid when it mixes with water and then it falls down to the earth as acid rain. So that's where acid rain comes mm, from, which right. is which is why the UN wanted to regulate it. But it turns out that in addition to being horrible for human health and making acid rain, sulfur dioxide also does something else. It actually can seed clouds. As the ship goes by and it pumps the sulfur dioxide up, you can see, just like kind of a contrail that a jet would leave behind, you can see they're called ship tracks. Hank actually showed us a a picture of this that was taken from from space. These tracks are like so big. It just looks like giant zebra stripes over the ocean of just white. When there's the right amount of heat and water in the air, you get all of these extra clouds that you normally wouldn't get. Okay. And the clouds reflect the energy of the sun into space. So instead of hitting the water and heating up the surface of the ocean, it hits a cloud. You know, you could think of it just like a very thin umbrella. And then there's a shadow on the ocean. Which keeps the water at least a little bit cooler. So you, so suddenly you take that away, you burn cleaner fuel, and then it's like taking away the beach umbrella. You're suddenly just, you're the ocean, and the ocean is getting blasted by the sun. Got it. It's not unanticipated. This is actually something that climate scientists have known about for decades, but it is non-intuitive. And what this means is that overall, we have not seen the actual full effects of the carbon dioxide. It's like the the warming from carbon dioxide has been worse than you thought up to now. It's just been sort of hidden by all the dirty clouds that we've had blocking light. Right. And if you get rid of that, you're going to realize just how bad it really is. Right. Yeah. 
Um, and that feels like, oh, things are, this is doomy. Like, I don't, this now like, seems oh, like a doom on a doom to me. Yeah, right? I agree. I feel like it's a double decker or doom. Yeah. We're just going to burn. Like, we're, I go to more to nihilism. I mean, I, I was, I found this very exciting and like fascinating. But not anchoring. He reads this study and sees a silver lining, a literal silver lining. In the smog cloud. A, a smog cloud that isn't there anymore. Right. The thing that excited me the most about it is we did it and then we undid it in order to make life better for people who are now not breathing that sulfur dioxide into their lungs. But now we have a chance to study what that looks like. He sees these papers and he's like, we have just it's done so like, a pretty a monumental experiment. Yeah. Because for Decades, we had been letting these ships put out these polluty, smoggy smoke trails, which just so happened to act like umbrellas and shade the ocean. And now that we've taken the umbrella away, we can measure how big or small that cooling effect was. But then the broader the broader question is, can you then, if we were doing it before... And, it, and we know what the effect was. Can you then find another better way to do it intentionally without putting the acid rain stuff, smoggy stuff in the air? Huh. So like, like, can we find a cleaner way to do the cloud umbrella just on purpose this time? Yeah. So it's like 11, he reads a ton more. He gets really excited. He goes to bed and dreams of like data and hope and ships. Okay. And then he wakes up the next day and fires out this like, big Twitter thread kind of explaining what he sees. And, oh boy. <laughs> when we come back, we are headed straight into the hot water that Hank's hopes landed him in. Stick with us. Radio Lab is supported by Betterment. Let's talk about you and your money. You like your free time. You like to relax every now and then. You like to feel totally chill. But your money, your money likes to work. And Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. While you're catching up on sleep, your money is up early, earning 11 times the national average in a high-yield cash account. Your money is a multitasker, diversified in expert-built portfolios of low-cost ETFs. And your money is optimized with automated tax-efficient strategies, just like the pros use. Your money is a total workhorse, so you don't have to be. Because you've got Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. WNYC Studios is supported by Zuckerman Spader. Through nearly five decades of taking on high-stakes legal matters, Zuckerman Spader is recognized nationally as a premier litigation and investigations firm. Their lawyers routinely represent individuals, organizations, and law firms in business disputes, government, and internal investigations, and at trial. When the lawyer you choose matters most. Online at Zuckerman.com. Radiolab is supported by TurboTax. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, filing with 100% accuracy and getting your max refund guaranteed. 
So whether you started a podcast, side hustled your way to concert tickets, or sold Hollywood memorabilia, switch to TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com slash guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. This week on the New Yorker Radio Hour, a young writer attaches himself to a rising star in politics named Barack Obama. Interesting guy. Speaks in what sound like paragraphs. Very good posture, that guy. Enviable posture. <laughs> I am a writer, and I have this, this very slight hunch. And he has none of that. A political coming-of-age story from staff writer Vincent Cunningham, plus actor and director Bradley Cooper, all on the New Yorker Radio Hour from WNYC Studios. Listen wherever you get your podcast. Lulu. Latif. Radio Lab. We're back talking with Hank Green alongside our editor, Soren Wheeler. And Hank has just hit publish on a long Twitter thread explaining how we might be able to learn something about how to make clouds to keep the ocean cool. Mm -hmm. Do you remember you put out a thread and then somebody writes back, no, 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 God, no, God, no, 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 Hank, no, no, Hank, Hank, stop, no, Hank, bad Hank, go, you know. Do you remember the first one you read and how it It might have been that felt? one. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. was, by the way, I, uh, a quoted tweet. No, there was only like three no. I think it was no, 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 I think was the tweet. <laughs> I mean, certainly it triggered like, please explain to me what I have stepped in here. So what Hank had stepped in was a heated and sometimes vicious debate among climate activists. It's a sign of desperation. And climate scientists. The cat's out of the bag. People know these, these options exist. About a little thing called geoengineering. This would not be the first choice. No, or third or fourth choice. So geoengineering 101, what is it, first of all? So, yeah, the uh, geoengineering is just any way that you would change the planet intentionally. But but in general, when it comes to climate change, we're talking about decreasing the amount of heat in the system of the planet. Like just do whatever you can to cool things down. Right. And the simplest way you could imagine is like putting a giant mirror in space and reflecting <laughs> some of the sun's light back. And then there's like a shadow on the planet in that area. Like, that's not really what is being proposed. But, but OK, I will say that until very recently, I thought this work of geoengineering was kind of like futile hubris. Like you read these stories right. of people in the 19th century shooting mm -hmm. cannons into clouds to try to get rain to reduce drought. Or like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I read about like the Moscow mayor, Yuri Luzov, trying to spray <laughs> a mist of cement on clouds to prevent snowfall. Yeah, a mist of cement is never a phrase. I thought I would ever hear. So like, to me, I thought geoengineering was like not actually that realistic. But what I've learned in talking to Hank and digging into all this stuff is that no, the technology is there now. And there are some serious proposals from serious people being entertained seriously, in including a proposal to put sulfur dioxide in the stratosphere. Mm. Now, to be clear, I mean, like Hank points out that the, the, this is very different than the ship clouds he got excited about because those are lower down, they're local, and they disappear on the scale of days. Whereas sulfur dioxide in the stratosphere would float around the whole planet and be a very thin umbrella wherever it ends up. And also in the stratosphere, it would stay there for a long time how long like years and there's a lot about this that we we just don't know like we don't know exactly what's going to get coolest what's going to get warmer 
We don't know how diseases are going to move around in that world. So there are a lot of people who understandably, when geoengineering comes up, are like, no, 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 because they're thinking about these unintended consequences, you know, and there are scientists who study this stuff. Like if the tropics cool, they might dry out and then you have less monsoon and then you get crop shortage right. and like then you actually might get more dust. Right, 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 right. There is going to be a chance that it's really bad for everyone, that you set off something that you didn't intend to set off. And then there's also the problem of there are going to be people who did not decide to do this who are going to be negatively impacted. Right. Hubris is is like that, that like we've, we finally found the textbook definition, you know, like let's change the whole planet, the only one we have, and just hope. So Hank is like, yeah, global geoengineering where you don't know what the effects are, that's bad. Yeah, it's terrifying. But the opportunity to learn a bunch about this extra cloud formation over the last decades, here's an area of the planet that's like we created clouds on and now we're not creating clouds on it anymore. And we get to see what the effect of that is. Hank's point is that we can take this smaller local thing that already happened, look at the data and find out did it have no effect or half the effect we thought or only over here, but it turned out in the long term it had a different effect. Those are all questions that would be really useful to know the answers to. The the opportunity to study this is huge. And I don't like I don't know how else we'd get data like this. So he's not saying do it. He's just saying like research it. But that brings us to the other flavor of anger Hank was seeing in response to his thread. There were people who were like, shh, don't tell people about this. There are some people, including climate scientists, who say we shouldn't even talk about geoengineering, like at all. Yeah, that um, their main thing is you don't give the fossil fuel industry a way out that's not don't burn fossil fuels anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's the, not not to not to belittle that. Because like that's the trap. That's that is like a purposeful playbook yeah. pioneered by the tobacco industry. You know, it, it cast doubt, uh, but also point in every direction at any possible shiny thing you can that right. will distract from the one thing, the one big thing that you are doing that we actually need to change for anything to get better. Yeah, and I've seen it. And I saw it in response to that thread. I saw people say, see, environmentalists were wrong the whole time. We shouldn't be doing all of this extra work. We can keep burning fossil fuels. Let's just put sulfur dioxide in the atmosphere and, and solve the problem that way. Fossil fuels are fine. Like, I saw that. Even as you all are describing geoengineering, like, my back gets thrown up and I'm like, oh, God, like, I'm I'm nervous about that. I'm nervous about talking about this. Yeah, no, I, 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 I hear it. Like, and I think it's a real question. Whether it's dangerous to even talk about geoengineering in case people think, oh, okay, let's let's go ahead and do that. Or they think it means that they don't have to worry about reducing fossil fuel emissions. But, oh, if we don't talk about it, they'll still find it and they will joyfully misinterpret it. And it will be the first time a lot of people hear about it. Mm, yeah. And I'd rather have it the first time that people hear about it be from somebody who is perfectly aware that climate change is real. <laughs> and I I especially think that like your first exposure to an idea should be a complex one. Hank's argument is basically because geoengineering is already in the room, we need to know how to talk about it. We need to figure out whether and how we can do this, like if we should. 
We have to make the decision if we should. Because Hank says there might come a point where in addition to solving the global long-term problem, we might need to deal with some more local, more short-term problems. One of the biggest problems with global warming is going to be heat. Like there's going to be places where it is too hot for people to live without air conditioning. And in those places, if the power goes out, people will just die. Like, like in, in ways that we've never seen, like heat kills people already, but like the, we, like we need to be confronting the reality that like heat is very deadly and there are going to be people who are going to be thinking like, are, is there a way to just make it less hot right here, right now? Yeah, but and, you do, but you don't want to go back to putting sulfur dioxide into the atmosphere. I mean, but like you could do it with other stuff. So oh. you could also potentially, though this has not been researched as much as it needs to be, just shoot seawater into the air, which is around. Like there's a lot of seawater uh, when you're on the ocean. You just pump it up and <laughs> tends to be then, and mist it into the air. Huh. Maybe even pump it to where the smokestack is so that it gets hot and goes higher. Huh. And then the salt actually concede the cloud or the water droplet itself concede the cloud and seawater uh universally known to be not so bad for the ocean and you'd get your umbrella made of like virginal seawater that sounds so great (laughs) they're doing it in australia right now it's called apparently marine cloud brightening Yes. So in in Australia, there is a small scale experiment that's just trying to make the clouds over the Great Barrier Reef brighter Hmm. to try and save the Great Barrier Reef. Try to put a little bit of a cool on that and slow things down. Oh, Mm -hmm. Like that sounds really like benevolent and okay. Isn't that interesting that it sounds benevolent? okay? because maybe it isn't like. Even if it's local, even if it's temporary, we don't know all the impacts that it's going to have. Like you could end up in a world where you, you know, the climate changes in a way that makes it really bad for a certain crop or that makes it really good for a certain disease. And like you wouldn't have thought of that one. And now you've heard it. But what are the ones you haven't thought of? Yeah. Like, I will admit I had a conversion this whole journey, these past like three weeks of seeing the tweet, researching, getting ready to talk to you, which was that I was like, this is so cool. Everyone needs to know about it. But like, I feel really torn now because on one hand, like a ship with some salt spraying feels fine and nice and lovely. Mm -hmm. But then it's like, is that just a a shiny distraction? Like, and, and, and more than that, when it comes to nature, there are just, as you were saying, there's so many things we don't know that we don't even know we don't know, and the stakes couldn't be higher. When I think about any chance that someone out there could take this wrong or hear this wrong or decide to jump in whole hog, I'm almost like, just put it back in the box. We can't, though. That's not ours. That's not for us to do. I know, but like, can't we just be like, well, like human cloning, like guy, like what if we're just like, don't like, yeah. We, there's things we've, we 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 keep in boxes sh- um, yeah, for for like, a little I'm, while at least. The three of us I, shushing is not going to put so anything in a box. What would you say like, to me? Yeah. Because part of me is like, you're leaving. I'm going to press delete. Like, like, yeah. uh, what would you say to me? Who's like actually kind of tipping over into the like? I see the terror of even talking about it. You know, the reality is that we are doing geoengineering right now, just recklessly and thoughtlessly, and 
for capitalist like, reasons. But that's not like deliberate geoengineering, right? That's like no. It, so it's not geo. Been, you can't call it geoengineering. Been, right. you, like it's just it's like geo, geo screwing around. Yeah. <laughs> like, but we are changing the climate. So you're saying we already do it already. Also, like what we all know is that we should put less CO2 into the atmosphere. And also we should take CO2 out. So that's going to probably be necessary. Like it isn't just going to be taking, it isn't just going to be stopping producing it. It's going to be taking it out and taking CO2 out of the atmosphere is geoengineering. Geoengineering. Yeah. Like carbon capture stuff. And it will have negative impacts on some people uh, as well as positive impacts on others. Like we're okay with that. So like that's a geoengineering that we're okay with. And we have to figure out like where we're not. Okay. And I am not here to convince Lulu Miller that geoengineering <laughs> is a good idea. Like, I would love for someone to convince me which way I should feel because I don't know. Um, I definitely think we should study it and talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so long as we're talking about the real problem and real solution at the same time. Yeah. Right. But, like, I don't think that we can make a decision by ignoring it. That is, like, are... literally, I was talking about that in therapy this morning. So, yeah, <laughs> I, point taken. Don't just ignore it. Mm-hmm. So I see your point. That's, like, you, the talking about it could help us to really shut it down. Uh, or to, 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 under, to take, at least to take the chance uh, with this North Atlantic situation to understand it better. The difference between how bad it is now and how bad it is it could get is very big. And weirdly, that makes me hopeful because it means that there's slack. And I've, I don't know, I like really, I believe in humanity. I think that we're remarkable problem-solving machines when we recognize problems and uh, look for truth and work together. And, you know, that's what science is about. Thank you to Hank Green for coming on to talk to us about this. Big thanks also to Dr. Colin Carson at Georgetown, who studies the potential chain effects of geoengineering, and to Avishai Artsy. This episode was reported by Lulu Miller with help from Alyssa Jung-Perry. It was also produced with help from Alyssa Jung-Perry with music and mixing help from Jeremy Bloom. This is Radiolab. Thanks for listening. Radiolab was created by Jad Abumrad and is edited by Soren Wheeler. Lulu Miller and Latif Nasser are our co-hosts. Dylan Keefe is our director of sound design. Our staff includes Simon Adler, Jeremy Bloom, Becca Bressler, Aketi Foster-Keys, W. Harry Fortuna, David Gable, Maria Paz Gutierrez, Sindhu Nyana Sambadam, Matt Kilty, Annie McEwen, Alex Neeson, Sara Kari, Anna Raskuit Paz, Alyssa Jong Perry, Sarah Sambach, Ariane Wack, Pat Walters, and Molly Webster, with help from Timmy Broderick. Our fact checkers are Diane Kelly, Emily Krieger, and Natalie Middleton. Hi, this is Tamara from Pasadena, California. Leadership support for Radio Lab Science Programming is provided by the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation, Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative and the John Templeton Foundation. 
Foundational support for Radiolab was provided by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. Thank <laughs> you.